It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's Wednesday, which means it's time for Midweek with Manish, the beat reporter and columnist covering the New York Jets for the New York Daily News, Manish Mehta. Manish, how's it going, sir? You know, I'm just gearing up, Scott, for the Combine. It's always an entertaining time when teams uh, are quote-unquote tampering uh, breaking NFL rules and the NFL doesn't seem to care, but uh, it, it's usually uh, an interesting time because the college players are there. But for my purposes, uh, it's an important week because you get a, a decent idea of uh, who the Jets will be targeting in free agency because they'll be talking uh, to agents of uh, prospective free agents, and uh, that's kind of where the initial groundwork is laid so that when uh, free agency technically begins, you find out all of these deals that have come uh, to fruition within hours, and that's because, you know, a lot of the framework and the, uh, you know, the guesswork is taken out because uh, most of the, the heavy lifting begins uh, in Indianapolis during the Combine. And a reminder that all week during the Combine, George Bremer is going to join us to give us daily reports as far as what's going on down there. And Manish, I'm sure when you come back, you're going to have plenty of intel because, as you like to say, you have your ways of finding things out like a detective <laughs> on the New York Jets beat. Let's talk about what's actually going on with the Jets right now before we get to the Combine because we're all excited for that and looking into the future towards that. But for now, the big news surrounds Le'Veon Bell the report coming out that the Jets apparently internally were not happy with Bell. They believe that he was overweight this season. I've seen no evidence of that, Manish. He looked to be in pretty good shape to me. I will say, obviously, I was not there every day, so I can't say that I weighed the guy or that I was looking too intently, but all the videos that I saw of Le'Veon Bell working out, he seemed to be in perfectly fine shape to me. That said, he probably would have been in even better shape if he would have gone to the people over at Omax Health because Omax Health is all about making you feel better. If you're living with chronic pain, you know how terrible it is. Constant discomfort. It can keep you from exercising, sleeping, or even eating. So if you're dealing with chronic muscle and joint pain, then make sure you try the natural breakthrough pain relief solution, cryo-free CBD roll-on developed by Omax Health. It's non-prescription. It's an easy roll-on. It's 100% natural, and it works within 10 minutes. And here's the best part. As a listener of Play Like a Jet, you get a 20% off discount on a full bottle of cryo-free CBD pain relief roll-on and free shipping. Discount also applies towards any product site-wide. Just go to omaxhealth.com today and enter promo code OVERTIME. That's omaxhealth, 
omaxhealth.com, promo code OVERTIME, and you'll get yourself 20% off cryo-freeze and anything site-wide. And while you certainly want to keep your body healthy, you definitely want to keep your home healthy, and that's why you want to go to Simply Safe. Every night, local police departments across America receive hundreds of calls from burglar alarms. The vast majority of the time, they have no idea whether the alarm's real. Is there really a crime going on or not? All the alarm company can tell them is that the motion sensor went off. But Simply Safe gives you a much higher level of home security. If there's a break-in, Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. That means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. You get comprehensive protection for your entire home, 24-7 monitoring by live security professionals. And it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com slash overtime and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash overtime so they know play like a jet sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash overtime. Now, Manish, as far as Le'Veon Bell struggles in 2019, I thought his problems stem more from misuse and, more importantly, a really bad offensive line. Hopefully, we'll find out more about whether or not it was Bell-centric or it was the offensive line. If Joe Douglas fixes the offensive line, that's how we'll be able to tell a little bit better. But Manish, what's your sense on this as far as what the Jets are thinking here in terms of the leak clearly coming from somewhere within the organization? Because it's not like Le'Veon Bell's going to leak this about himself. What are your thoughts on where this may have come from? What the logistics are in terms of this coming out? And do you have any sense as to whether or not there's any truth to it? Because as I said, from where I sit... I didn't see anything that would make me think that Le'Veon Bell was out of shape or overweight, but I'm not there on a daily basis. Any intel on that? Well, let me say that I, too, never witnessed Le'Veon Bell standing on a scale this season. However, I did see Le'Veon for the better part of five months, and uh, he did not look markedly different. He did not look like he gained any weight. He looked like he was in terrific shape in training camp, and as he admitted it, during his year off, he did fall out of shape because he wasn't playing football. And then he rededicated himself, uh, you know, got his focus back together and trained in Miami so that he could specifically be in optimal condition when training camp began. And he looked terrific uh, when I first saw him at the end of July. Uh, I thought he looked like he was in great shape, frankly, in September, October, November, December. Now, you know, he lost a little bit of weight uh, temporarily when he got the flu early in December, but uh, I didn't notice anything uh, from the eye test. And you know, I just think that this in this latest rumor rumbling is just sad because Le'Veon Bell has comported himself like a professional from the moment that he arrived. And I feel like he has been fighting these forces inside the organization uh you know, without any real explanation as to, to why. And you asked me, you know, where is this coming from? I don't think it matters uh, whether it came from a coach or whether it came from somebody in the front office. Uh, the most disconcerting part of all of this is that it came from inside the organization. And this is a player who had his worst season as a professional. He's a perennial Pro Bowl player, a 
couple years ago. He was arguably the best running back in the NFL. So he was obviously doing something right uh, on Sundays and Mondays and Thursday nights. Uh, so the fact that the organization has repeatedly taken shots at him, and now it's not overt. You know, publicly, Joe Douglas, for example, said after the season that he thinks that Le'Veon is a you know one of the best teammates uh, you know in that building. Uh, Adam Gase uh, did not want him, and that's been discussed ad nauseum. Uh, not only you know you and I have talked about that, but the people across the league have talked about how Gase did not want him. Uh, and then when it became inevitable that he was going to have him on the team, uh, he kind of pivoted and said, well, it's not that I didn't want him uh, privately, I should say. He he was telling people, it's not that I didn't want him, it's just I didn't want to pay this exorbitant price, uh, which is fair. The, but that's not real. the real reason that he didn't want him. He didn't want him because he did not want to tailor an offense around a running back. Uh, and I think it was pretty evident through the course of this season that he did not tailor his offense around Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell was just another piece in Adam Gase's offense, so he asked Bell to conform to his system, and that clearly didn't work uh, for a variety of reasons. You touched on one, Scott. The offensive line was substandard. Uh, I think uh, an equal culprit, if you will, is that uh, Gase's play design did not, uh, you know, it did not focus on runs that made the most sense for Le'Veon Bell. So there, it's an interesting dynamic because we, we know that he, they tried to trade him. They couldn't because of the contract. They'll try to do it again this offseason. But, again, the, the contract makes it that much more difficult to move him. So in all likelihood, he'll be back. Uh, but what I found was interesting was that uh, as the season wore on, specifically when we got into December, Gates would privately tell people that part of the reason, if not the primary reason, why Le'Veon Bell uh, was having such a down year was because he did not show up uh, for spring voluntary workouts. And, and again, Bell was down in Miami training, did not make any apology uh, for that. He said he wanted to make sure that when he came to camp, he was right physically, and he felt the best way to do that was to work with people that he had worked with through the years and was most comfortable with. And I think, frankly, a player of Le'Veon Bell's caliber deserves that. Now, I believe that he should have been in Florham Park because there was a new coaching staff and you want to set a right example. Uh, that being said, I don't think that him being away uh, from New Jersey in the spring impacted his play whatsoever. However, uh, Adam Gates was saying that to people, and partly because Adam Gates did not want to accept responsibility for the, the player's uh, lack of production, and so that's just the Adam Gates way. But what I thought was interesting, and this is not something that – uh, had discussed or even written about prior to uh, today's story in the Daily News is that in Buffalo, after the Week 17 win, uh, I thought it was interesting, and maybe not many other people picked up on it, but that Le'Veon Bell was asked by a reporter who has been exceedingly supportive of Adam Gase throughout the season and defended Adam Gase virtually at every turn. Uh, that reporter asked uh, Le'Veon Bell in the scrum after the game in the locker room in Buffalo, whether he would show up for voluntary workouts. And that kind of just you know, raised an antenna for me because it just seemed like a curious question to ask at that time. And uh, it all made sense when I did a little bit of backtracking and researching and found out that uh, Gase had been you know, telling people that uh, one of the reasons that he thought uh, Bell was ineffective was because he didn't show up. And uh, perhaps it would make sense to find out uh, you know, through a third party 
whether Bell would actually show up. So I thought that was a, just a, an interesting little wrinkle and not something, obviously, that fans would be privy to. And, again, I'm not exactly sure how many people in the locker room at that moment thought thought of it as well. But uh, I guess it just speaks to a larger issue uh, when it comes to Bell, which is he is on your team in all likelihood for one more season, 2020. So why continue making disparaging remarks about him uh, through back channels now? I, I don't understand it. I don't agree with it. Uh, you know, I'm not going to shed a tear for Le'Veon Bell. He's a very rich man. He decided to sign with the highest bidder, and that was the Jets. And he's, he's a businessman. He's not going to take any less because if he was willing to take a pay cut, he would have already been traded by now. But he's not willing to do that. Uh, I, I just don't quite understand why the organization continues to take shots at him when he really has not done anything of the sort. Um, you know, there was a, another example, and then we can move on from this, but there was another example, Scott, late in the season, well, there's uh, a radio personality who is friends with the, the CEO and is really a de facto apologist for that CEO, uh, made a re- veiled reference to Le'Veon Bell you know, missing meet or not missing meetings, but being late for meetings and really casting uh, another disparaging light on the player. And I think it's pretty obvious where all that information comes from. But I just don't understand why the organization would, uh, you know, use intermediaries to disparage a player who has been nothing but above board with you uh, since the moment he arrived. I'm really confused about this excuse that they're using as far as why Le'Veon Bell wasn't effective and going back to training camp because I just can't wrap my head around what they're trying to even say here. Is it that they're trying to say that what he did in the summertime carried over through the entire season? Because if he was working hard throughout the season, I don't see why it would be an issue. But even more to the point, we all saw the videos. Everybody knows what Le'Veon Bell was doing down in Florida. Everyone knows how hard he was working. You could see the workouts that he was putting himself through. And we've talked about this before, Manish, but so many of the league's best players don't go to these voluntary workouts. They're called voluntary for a reason. Typically, they tend to be practically mandatory for the lower-level players, but for the top-shelf players like Le'Veon Bell, most of the time those guys don't show up. Bart Scott has talked about this many times. He said he never saw Ray Lewis or Terrell Suggs at any of those things. Now, I think that what you said was interesting. Bell had missed the year. You have a new coaching staff in here. You want to get off on the right foot. You want to make the argument that Bell should have shown up fine. But I don't see how this should have been something that's held against him all the way through up until now. And more importantly, anybody with eyes knows what Le'Veon Bell did. How is this something that they're going to try and use to disparage him? I just can't understand who would even buy that at this point. Yeah, and I, it doesn't pass the eye test. And it doesn't even pass the, uh, the paper test. Uh, Le'Veon Bell had... I can make a, a, a reasonable case that Le'Veon Bell had his best game of the season on December 12th, late in the season, uh, week 15, in Baltimore. He had a season-high 87 yards. He rushed for over four yards a carry for one of only three times uh, during the season. He had missed the prior week because he had the flu. Uh, so he had been off for uh, you know eight or nine days, I guess, somewhere in that neighborhood, uh, if he had supposedly been gaining weight throughout the season and his explosiveness had been sapped, how do you explain that his best game came 
toward the end of the season? Did he sit in a sauna for eight days to lose weight? Did he uh, fast, you know, not eat anything to, to lose weight for that game? Uh, I, I don't understand it. And when you look at his worst game, it was probably early in the season at Foxborough when he averaged fewer than two yards a carry. Uh, was he fat by then? I don't understand that he's getting fatter and losing explosiveness theory. That just doesn't hold water when you look at how his season uh, evolved week by week. It's not as if he started off as this incredible player and progressively got worse statistically. He had a seesaw season, and by and large, that was because the offense, offensive line was not particularly good and because the play caller, the play designer, didn't know how to use him properly. Uh, I, you know, you asked me, what is the motivation behind uh, you know, using this uh, as an excuse or a rationale for his poor play? I just think it insulates the organization from blame. I think at, at its core is what's happening here. Le'Veon Bell was not good because of Le'Veon Bell, not because of anything that the coaches did or anything that the organization did. It frees the organization from culpability, and I think that is the motivation and the genesis uh, of floating this out there. Uh, and I just think it's, it's pathetic. You know, initially it was perplexing. Uh, and then just w- what has transpired over the last six or seven months when it comes to this player has become uh, pathetic. And I also think it's transparent. And without trying to pinpoint the exact person or persons who, uh, you know, would leak such information, I think it's, it's clear to any rational thinking person that it came from somebody in the organization. In fact, it was reported that it came from someone, it came from the organization. So, uh, you know, you take that reporting at its word. And I just, I just think it's sad. I'm trying to think of a different word uh, to kind of summarize all of this. But you've got a player who hasn't been a problem for you when he could have been, because this is a highly accomplished player who was on a Hall of Fame track who landed in your lap because you offered him the most money. You didn't utilize him properly. He went through a lot of frustration in terms of not being productive, and he didn't throw anybody under the bus. And I think that's the, that to me is the, you know, the headliner for this, is that this is a player, regardless of how you may have felt about Le'Veon Bell before he arrived. Maybe you thought he was selfish because he sat out a season. Maybe you thought he... You know, betrayed his Pittsburgh Steelers teammates because he didn't take the contract that that team offered him. Regardless of any of that, there's nobody who has followed Le'Veon Bell's career who could be critical of the way he has handled himself from the moment that he signed on the dotted line with the Jets. He's been above board. He's really been a selfless guy. He's been encouraging. He's been exceedingly positive. He's looked, you know, at the glass as half full and. And for a guy to do all of that, an accomplished player who's not succeeding on the field, to still keep his spirits up and try to keep the spirits of the people in the locker room up for for an organization, uh, for, for people in that building to come out and offer up excuses for why he failed and not take blame from an organizational standpoint, but you know, place the blame on the player is just embarrassing to me. It's transparent and it's embarrassing. There are those who believe that this is a prelude to the Jets 
dumping Le'Veon Bell for next to nothing and then being able to go back and look at this and justify it by saying, well, look at all the things that were reported about Le'Veon Bell. Of course we had to get him out of here. Do you think there's any truth to that? No, I, because I think from a business standpoint, it doesn't make sense to just give him away for you know 10 cents on the dollar. And when I mean 10 cents on the dollar, I mean absorbing 10 nine or ten million of the thirteen and a half million he's owed so that another team's only on the hook for three or four million uh, and then getting back a day three pick whether it's you know round four round five pick that doesn't help the organization uh, because remember the main thing for this organization right now is to develop Sam Darnold and even though Le'Veon Bell had the worst year of his career and he wasn't very productive I think an offense without Le'Veon Bell in 2020 would be worse than an offense with Le'Veon Bell in 2020 for Sam Darnold. And I'm not saying that Le'Veon Bell can replicate what he did a couple years ago in Pittsburgh. I just don't think that's possible given what Adam Gase's you know, driving forces, which is to make the Adam Gase offense as productive as possible, not to make Le'Veon Bell as productive as possible. But I do think that Bell can help Sam Darnold. And at this point, if you're going to keep him for one more year, uh, the, the guaranteed money runs out after 2020. So uh, I don't anticipate that they will keep a then 29-year-old running back with no guaranteed money making uh, well above market value. Uh, I, I don't believe they'll keep him around. I think this is it for Le'Veon Bell. I would also not rule out the possibility, depending on how the season is unfolding, that the Jets would unload Le'Veon Bell and actually this time trade Bell and find a trade partner before the deadline. But there's so many moving parts. It's so unknown. You don't know how the Jets are going to be playing at that time. Uh, I, I would I would think that they would not be out of it, and they'd still have a you know a realistic chance of a playoff spot at that point in the NFL calendar. So maybe it wouldn't make any sense to trade Bell. But that is a a, a potential option for Joe Douglas and Adam Gase. So they they could move Bell before the deadline, knowing full well that the guaranteed money runs out. So the contract isn't going to be an albatross for a team that wants him if they just want a rent a player to make a Super Bowl run or to make a legitimate playoff run. So uh, that's just another option. Uh, I, I don't know how it's going to play out. I, I just think that it's unfortunate the, the way that things have unfolded for him uh, over you know the past seven or eight months. And again, look, I'm not an apologist for Le'Veon Bell. I'm the one who reported uh, last year that the word on the street uh, across the league was that he had gained weight. And he did gain weight, and he admitted subsequently that he had gained, what, 20, 25 pounds, whatever it was, uh, you know, a fair amount of weight that he didn't feel comfortable playing at. Uh, you know, I, I don't feel sorry for the guy because he's rich beyond belief. I just think it's unfortunate for his career that he ended up in this situation. Uh, I think if he knew that his career would take this kind of turn, he might have taken less uh, to play for a team that had a uh, you know, realistic chance of being relevant and you know, featuring his skill set to its maximum. But, uh, you know, I, I just think, uh, you know, one of the things I do want to talk about real quick is that one of the, the things that Joe Douglas talked about after the season when he addressed the media was creating the best culture in sports. And I don't understand how disparaging an accomplished player like Le'Veon Bell uh, is a means to that end. I, I think that runs contrary to it. I think that shows a fundamental uh, belief that you don't know what it takes to win. And when I say you, I'm not talking about Joe Douglas specifically. I'm talking about there's a, a weird culture inside that building 
it, and it's with different people because you know, people get hired and fired all the time. But there's something in that organization that is preventing them from becoming uh, a winner, a consistent winner. And when Joe Douglas talks about creating the best culture in sports, uh, having people in that building, perhaps people close to Joe Douglas, saying disparaging things about Le'Veon Bell, uh, doesn't you know, show that you're ready to have the best culture in sports. That, to me, is a, that's malignant. I, I think there are malignant presences in that organization. Uh, without getting into too many details, I think people uh, kind of know where I stand with the head coach. But I just think that you know, if you truly are going to say something that grandiose, having the best culture in sports, uh, it's got to be more than just a few sentences in a press conference. You actually have to comport yourself that way, and the people that work with you and for you have to act accordingly. And I think it's pretty clear at this point uh, the Jets are far off from that. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Le'Veon Bell may stay because of the economics, but if he does, things are going to be very, very awkward going forward. And I can't even imagine how this is going to play out over the next couple of months. And even once the season starts, 
But if Le'Veon Bell sticks around, odds are that Tremaine Johnson is not going to be one of his teammates anymore. Reports flying left and right that Tremaine Johnson is going to be released any day now. Not a big surprise. This was arguably the worst contract in Jets history. You could probably put it together with Muhammad Wilkerson, Darrell Revis when he came back. Any of those are really bad, but I think Tremaine Johnson gave the Jets pretty much next to nothing, particularly this past year. If the Jets move on, they save $3 million. They still have to pay him $12 million, but at this point, Tremaine Johnson is so worthless on the field. I don't want to make a judgment about him as a human being. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying on the field as a player, he's so useless that just saving that $3 million is worth it. What are you hearing on this? I assume that they're going to be looking to replace him as quickly as possible in free agency and then perhaps the draft, but it sounds like Tremaine Johnson is out of here. Yeah, I think uh, Tremaine Johnson was out of here the moment that the Jets put him on IR uh, You know, in the second half of the season. Uh, that's probably the least surprising bit of information that will come out from this organization this entire offseason. Uh, everybody knew that Tremaine Johnson was going to get cut uh, the minute frankly, that he lost his star starting job. So we're talking early in the season. Uh, but when he was put on IR, uh, everybody knew he was not coming back. He was going to get cut. It's really not surprising. It's the least surprising bit of information that will come uh, over the next several weeks and several months. And it's unfortunate. Uh, you know, they gave him the big five-year, $72.5 million deal. Uh, I'll give him a lot of credit, though. He really maximized his value and he leveraged his position to the hilt. He, you know, he was the quote-unquote top-rated cornerback when he hit free agency. And if you remember, there was a red flag, which the Jets ignored, and I understand why they ignored it, but there was a red flag that the, the Rams never gave Trumaine Johnson a long-term deal. Uh, they decided to go year by year, giving him the franchise tag for two consecutive years. He made a ton of money during that two-year run, and then he made a ton of money in, in his time with the Jets. And I think that that what four-year window uh, rivaled what Darrell Revis made uh, when he was uh, maximizing his value. And Darrell Revis is a future Hall of Famer. Tremaine Johnson has never made a Pro Bowl in his career. So he came, he came along at the right time, but there was a clear warning sign uh, you know why the Rams didn't uh, dedicate uh, a long-term deal for him. They didn't want to be locked in because they knew that uh, you know this is a you know a good player. He can be a good player. Uh, the Jets never believed that his heart was into football. That he that he never truly you know loved football. And I remember asking Tremaine about that when I wrote a story earlier in the season about it, and you know he disagreed, but. You know, the conversation I had with him, I didn't walk away from that talk uh, believing him. I, you know, if anything, it, it kind of justified in my mind what people in the organization already told me, which is that he wasn't fully invested, uh, you know, in playing football. And I can't speak to you know, how, he, how he was three, four, five years earlier, but, uh, you know, a lot of times you get a lot of money and maybe you kind of change your outlook. But, uh, you know, there are some stories behind the scenes uh, two years ago even that led me to believe that, hey, you know, this guy's not all in. And if he's not all in uh, and he's not producing on the field, what's, you know, what's the point? So they cut their losses. Uh, it's a huge chunk of change, as you mentioned. You know, it's a $12 million cap hit. And uh, there's a lot of dead money sitting around. They're not really saving that much. They got a few million dollars saved up. But uh, they're going to have to. 
uh, revamp their really most, if not all, of their cornerback room. You know, they want to bring back Brian Poole as their slot corner, but he's an unrestricted free agent. I, I would anticipate them bringing him back. I, I don't know what the market will be for him, but uh, you know, that's a guy that they want to bring back. You don't know what's going to happen with Daryl Roberts. If you remember, they gave Roberts a, a multi-year deal uh, a year ago, and they're on the hook for I don't know thirty, forty percent of that. Uh, early in the league year, so about a month from now, so they're going to have to make a decision quickly uh, whether they want to, you know, keep the six million dollars that that he's owed, or move on from him. The six million dollars for Daryl Roberts, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that might be a little too pricey for a guy who was ineffective a year ago, coming off a career year, which was surprising. Uh, I, you know, I think you might be better served moving on from him. And you really have, you know, you have no dead money, so you're clearing $6 million of, of cap space that can be used to, to get another cornerback. Uh, so I think the Jets uh, will have one, if not two, new cornerbacks. Bless Austin you know, showed some promise. Uh, I still think that, in fact, I know the Jets still believe in Bless Austin. Uh, what Austin needs to do, and this will come with time, it'll come with maturity, uh, I, I think, you know, as he evolves you know becomes more a more mature player i think he can be productive uh, whether that means a starting role or a premium backup role that's tbd but i know that the jets like his skill set uh, i just think that uh, you know he's a highly emotional confident player and uh he uh you know he needs to mature he needs to grow up a little bit and that's not a knock on him i think that's just the reality i think he would even tell you that you know he, he's he, he's all in he's all about football and he's not a guy who's going to be half-stepping it. So perhaps they feel confident enough him for, in him to be a starter on the outside. Uh, either way, uh, there's going to be some new faces on the back end, uh, and they're, and they're going to need it because I thought that even though Greg Williams did a nice job, uh, a really nice job masking some of those deficiencies, I don't think that's sustainable. Uh, ultimately, you need to bring more talented players at that position into the fold, and I think the Jets will do that. Manish, the theory was that Tremaine Johnson played the best football of his career with Greg Williams when Greg Williams was the defensive coordinator with the Rams. And if anybody could get production out of Tremaine Johnson, it would be Greg Williams. Well, we now saw that Greg Williams benched Tremaine Johnson at a certain point, and Tremaine Johnson didn't produce anything with Greg Williams. So you have to figure the Jets looked at that, and Williams specifically looked at that, and decided that there's just nothing to salvage here. Yeah, agreed. Uh, he wouldn't have benched him so early in the season <laughs> if he if he still believed in him. And, I, and that was the hope, and that was the hope in the off season that uh, being reunited with Greg Williams would rekindle the fire, if you will, uh, in Tremaine Johnson. And it didn't happen. And I think you know at this stage of Tremaine Johnson's career, if he couldn't play at an acceptable level for a coordinator. Uh, in which he had played his best football four years earlier, then it, it wasn't going to happen. So moving on from him, it's a no-brainer. You and I could have had this discussion three months ago, and uh, I would have said the same thing. He's not coming back. There's really no gray area there. It's sad to see that things didn't work out between Tremaine Johnson and the Jets, but at this point, certainly not sad to see him go. It's long overdue. Bye-bye. See ya. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Best of luck in your future endeavors, Tremaine Johnson, and best of luck in the Jets' future endeavors as they look to replace him 
at cornerback. That's going to wrap things up this week on Midweek with Manish. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, make sure that you're following Manish on Twitter. Make sure that you're reading his work over at the New York Daily News. If you missed any of the podcasts that we did earlier in the week, including the weekend mailbags with the very big deal, Chris Nimbley. Fun time as always answering your questions. Michael Nania joined the show on Monday for part five of the Sam Darnold project. We began the 2019 season. Sam Darnold's first three starts, which were, of course, interrupted by a bout with Mono, included one of his best games as a pro and his absolute worst game as a pro. So we're starting to see the roller coaster ride continue in 2019. It's a fun show as we get into that season, the sophomore year for Sam Darnold. So if you missed it, go ahead and check it out. And our latest roundtable with the godfather of Jets podcasts, the host of There's Always Next Year here on Turn on the Jets Digital and Play Like a Jet. That, of course, Mr. Brian Bassett had a blast talking to Brian just like I always do. He had some very interesting takes on where the Jets are at right now, the state of the Jets, if you will, and what the Jets should do in the 2020 offseason. And we've got another roundtable coming out tomorrow with the great Jim Garrity, senior political correspondent for National Review, host of the Three Martini Lunch podcast, and publisher of the Morning Jolt newsletter. Jim has been a diehard Jets fan for almost 35 years, so he is frothing at the mouth, waiting to unleash the Garrity plan for how the Jets can be fixed in 2020 and he will indeed talk about that on the podcast tomorrow on our next roundtable quick reminder if you haven't had a chance to give us a five-star review on itunes or joe caparoso's turn on the jets podcast on itunes we'd really appreciate it if you could do that for us it's an easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing it doesn't cost you any money it doesn't take you much time but it really does a lot for us so if you could go ahead and do that for us we'd be really grateful And it does a lot to allow us to continue to bring you the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts. And for that, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.